transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the American desert and things are always falling on something or other, hopefully not on you and yours. Although I did see a very bright meteor the other night and I wondered where did that thing fall? The old woman meteorite crashed out of the sky and into the old woman mountains in the Mojave some 10,000 years ago, but it wasn't until 1975 that a couple of desert miners discovered the giant chunk of space iron. It was nestled between common granite boulders. Well, the miners were pretty excited. After all, this would turn out to be the biggest meteorite ever found in California and the second biggest ever recovered in the whole of the United States. The size of a kitchen stove. Iron from space. Well, as often happens in the desert, the finders did not end up being the keepers, as the Interior Department successfully argued that the meteorite was not discovered on the miners' claim, but on Bureau of Land Management land, and it was a meteorite of public scientific interest. After a long battle, the old woman meteorite went on display at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., but only for two years, from 1978 to 1980. Then it was returned on permanent loan from the Smithsonian, not to the miners, but to California. And you can see this fantastic thing today, minus a slice the Smithsonian cut out for study at the Desert Discovery Center in downtown Barstow. It's a great desert museum. It's made up of these sand-colored domes. It looks like Luke Skywalker is going to zoom by on his way to Tashi Station to screw around with his friends again. And there are living desert tortoises that roam the museum and gardens freely when it's warm enough. So stop on by. People can go crazy over desert rocks, they find. And one day soon, we'll tell some mining stories, but not tonight, not on this particular crisp autumn night, with a sky full of stars and also that very bright moon. It's the full moon tonight. Get out there and take a look. Remind yourself we live on a planet. A planet that is orbited by a subplanet, which we call the moon, because what else would you call it? La Luna. Very bright. It's almost too much out on the desert. Because there are not a lot of trees to filter the moonlight to soften its harsh glare. But now it makes for a nice nighttime walk. Especially when you don't have to worry about stepping on a rattlesnake or having a centipede squirm into your shoe. Your left shoe. You might want to shake that thing out. The junipers generally aren't tall enough 
to serve as much of a tree. A Joshua tree is a tree, or close enough, sometimes, especially on the Arizona Strip and out on Sema Dome, where these monster yuccas rise 30 feet high with arms grasping up like some kraken from the briny deep. And that kind of Joshua tree will filter the moonlight, all right. You don't want that harsh moonlight right on your face because it drives people mad. It's bad news. If you sleep with that terrible glare upon you, you don't really sleep. You're just absorbing that white lunar reflection, unable to dream, unable to rest. Like trying to sleep with a flashlight in your face. Or trying to sleep with an iPhone in your face, because that is what we do now. The very worst thing for the daily and nightly cycles of your brain to stare at some social network or video game on your phone when you're trying to shut down and sleep. And instead, you're blasting your tired brain through the eye holes with the kind of blue light that disrupts the production of the hormone that tells you to go to sleep. The light from a campfire will sing you to sleep like a baby, but the light from the $100 a month garbage machine makes it so you can't sleep at all. It's like a full moon every night in your eyes, minus the nice walk outside. The finest thing about a full moon is that you can take that nighttime walk in the desert without any LED flashlight to disrupt the system. The system being you can see everything without it. You don't need it. A crisp autumn night in the high desert. Nothing is better. Since the last broadcast, every day I have been receiving letters. Emails, actually. Regarding a sort of romantic army of planet-saving warrior priestesses and priests acting upon the humanist goals of a global revolutionary order, one that would help shepherd us through this strange and dangerous time so that we might survive this challenging era, maintain our home planet as an ideal habitat for our species in the coming millennia, etc., and etc., this proposal, such as it was, sort of veered off from imagining an alternate U.S. Department of the Interior, which will in time lose its current leadership to the federal prison system, but which at its root is made up of good people. People who quietly work to save the nation's heritage, its inspirational landscapes, its biological diversity, its great protected public lands that have made the western United States the most beautiful, the most photographed, perhaps the most Instagrammed of all the regions of this beautiful world. You hear people talk about these magnificent vistas like it's a holy experience, and it is. I mean, a desert mountaintop could mightily impress Jesus of Galilee back in the day, and the world was far less crowded, the desert open and wild because it could not be farmed. The arid land barely able to provide for nomadic goat herders. Well, you add a couple thousand years and seven billion additional people, there were only 300 million people on the whole planet in Jesus' time. So the entire population of Earth 
would be a rounding error today. And an open desert vista is a rare and precious experience for the people of our time, most of whom live crowded together in increasingly massive super cities like Los Angeles and Beijing. It seems we are muddling through something like the Middle Ages right now, the Dark Ages of Western Europe. Now, progress doesn't stop, but it slows considerably. Imagine the people who grew up in the first part of the last century. If you grew up in the 1940s or the 1950s, you watched the world and the species change not over decades, but single years. For good and bad, but always big. Television, polio vaccine, atomic bomb, the jet age, the space age, the computer, one after another. You may have noticed that most people seem to be getting a bit simple. If you've ever flipped through a book of early medieval art, you see a rapid decline in basic skill, basic competency. From the steady perfection of classical realism to the homely and simple shapes lacking perspective and detail. In part because the more symbolic art of northern and Celtic tribes had merged with the Christian art of the imperial era. In part because Byzantine icons were in steady production as the old Greek and Roman techniques of bodily perfection no longer appealed to a population which was only interested in the flesh when it was punished and torn apart by mortification. But less skill and ability is notable not just in the general population, but among the elites, and especially among the belongings of the elites. Things ultimately improved over centuries, but if you were royalty in the early medieval time, it did not matter how much gold you controlled, because instead of a beautiful marble statue, you could at best expect a childish cartoon for a portrait with bug eyes and a lopsided skull. By the 7th century of our era, the population of Europe was down to about 18 million people, from the British Isles to the Black Sea. That's five million less people than live today in Southern California alone. But progress did not come to a stop. Alchemy led the way with the idea that quiet contemplation and laboratory ritual would lead to an understanding of nature and the cosmos, which could lead to transcendence. Scattered advances in agriculture and architecture would explode into great movements in the centuries to come, and the historians of the 20th century eventually conceded that the Dark Ages were not completely dark, despite the struggle for civilization to survive, despite the plagues and the ignorance, the rule by morons and degenerates, the rise of the vulgarians. But through every grim phase of humanity, there have been those who kept the faith, so to speak. Not so much faith in this or that religion, but faith in humanity, a vision for the future. Even Christopher Columbus, in his brutal idiocy, could still imagine an earthly paradise, the literal promise of his Lord who told his disciples the kingdom of God is spread over the earth and men do not see it. Peter C. writes to the program, 
seeking further information on Park Ranger Roll, currently helplessly reacting to the deeds of the evildoers, would prefer to assist in the transmutation and salvation of our planet and humanity. Alexander P. writes, It has been five years since I took any kind of vacation, and when I stumbled across your journal and later podcast, well, that was all the inspiration I needed to finally get out of here, and now I don't want to leave. I'm sure you've heard this from many people, but it's easy to fall in love with this place. I am looking for a life change. I've been slogging nine to five for 20 years and I'm done. I need to get away from all the people, from all the noise, and I'd like to come out here and make a difference. Ultimately, I'd like to follow in my grandfather's footsteps. He was a forest ranger in the former Yugoslavia, so I would like to be a park ranger out here and educate people on desert ecology. Carl Y. writes, Inspired words tonight, sign me up. Regarding the Warrior Monk Brigade, I'll await my marching orders at the November 16 event. Or at least, hopefully, hear some more desert fire and brimstone. And Steve H. writes, Sign me up for whatever political movement, scout troop, religious order, militia, or local club you're talking about in episode 12, I Want In. I'm a high desert part-timer and weekender as I attempt to work out a more permanent escape from Los Angeles, and I can't tell you how much I enjoy Desert Oracle the quarterly. I have every issue and they bear rereading, bringing new enjoyment each time. Even better, though, in this listener's opinion is Desert Oracle Radio. That's it. Just a note of appreciation. Thank you, Steve. Thank all of you for these kind and inspiring notes. And a note of appreciation is the nicest thing that you can give to another person unless you owe them money. In which case, pay them back if you can and lay low if you can't. When a lot of people are thinking about the same thing at the same time, or at least the same kind of thing, it's bound to happen. Carl Jung noticed this in the years before World War II broke out in Europe because so many of his patients were having the same dreams. Dreams like something from a Bosch painting, dreams that could not be comprehended until after the war, when the full horrors of Nazi Germany became public knowledge. And we will continue to think about this opportunity and attempt to conduct ourselves in such a way as to turn such yearnings into a broader reality. It happens all the time, and it might as well happen for you, for us, for good. Why not? People make up worse things every day. Just look at Silicon Valley. You are listening to Sounds from Joshua Tree from an artist known as Red Blue Black Silver. RedBlueBlackSilver.com On Desert Oracle Radio. 
Halloween has come and gone, and as has become the unpleasant norm in our desert, we did not get Halloween weather until Halloween Day itself, which is better than missing it altogether. The tiny, scattered human settlements of our broadcast area, the Mojave High Desert, mostly lack the kind of places where children can trick-or-treat and where teenagers can wander the midnight streets like feral dogs wearing hockey masks, and adults can stagger out of 2 a.m. bar rooms in smeared makeup and falling apart costumes for a romantic walk home down the autumn sidewalks. We don't have sidewalks around here, and the houses are too far apart for trick-or-treating, and besides, a lot of the old thumpers up here are against the whole thing in principle, the principle being that they simply don't care for these ancient autumn festivals of the pre-Christian cultures. Somewhat in the way that the European conquerors of Central and South America found the rich civilizations there so distasteful that all the holy books, all the history books, the religious books, the mathematical books, all the writings of those great civilizations were burned whenever they were found. What survived only survived because the writings were not discovered at the time because they were hidden away by plan or by accident. The arrival of the Harvest Festival was one of those 1980s inventions that you hoped would go away. But this peculiar variation of the satanic panic has persisted in the semi-rural and exurban parts of the country where times are always tougher and we tend to look past the devils among us for the devil we've imagined. It's a suburban church version of Halloween minus the cheery reminders of death the skeletons and such, the death that is coming for all of us sooner or later and perhaps long before we are prepared for it. As Halloween is already a harvest festival like Thanksgiving that follows it, at an American harvest festival there are still plenty of pumpkins and there are straw bales and mostly pumpkins and straw bales and no faces on the pumpkins. We welcome Brendan Mays back to the program. And unfortunately, we could not have you on before the Halloween festival that you put on last weekend. And unfortunately, there has been some controversy about how it played out. We had a a couple of problems with the Haunted Hayride. Um, We have this, uh, well, as you know, the, the, the event was supposed to it was supposed to be multi-stage. You know, it was supposed to be uh, across multiple stages. We're going to have various events for various people, various themes. And we had three main themes going, as you know. We had the, the voodoo theme, uh, which was kind of a New Orleans-based Creole sort of voodoo, satanic ritual-themed area of the, of the Mojave Madness happening. Then we also, of course, we had a very popular Dia de los Muertos. We thought it was going to be popular, at least. Dia de los Muertos stage was a, a giant ziggurat, a pyramid. You know, that's the one of the things that got people kind of really upset from the Harvest Festival is that well, at the top, you know, you, you lead the gal out there and she's dressed, you know, rather scantily and she's 
Take her up to the top, and the high priest uh, drains her heart uh, down a sluice. And, of course, it's not real blood. It's actually chocolate liqueur. The attendees gather at the bottom of the trough and swap, you know, drink from the trough and have a good time like you're, like you're supposed to. I guess that was one of the things that really, uh, really upset the harvest people. We had, I mean, we had an area for children, good white witches, you know, practice, uh, you know, the Sabbath, the ass balls, you know, the celebration of the of the seasons. One of the guys, we were running out of animals because everybody wants to be a bighorn sheep, you know, and we wants to be a, a hawk or a something, you know, the, the, the great animals. And so we were handing out insect names because we'd run out of all the good animals. And so we we named this one guy the brown recluse, and he he ran with it, you know, all eight legs. And then we had a more traditional, uh, more traditional haunted hayride. I guess some things kind of went wrong on the Haunted Hayride. Uh, it was pretty supposed to be pretty simple in practice. We were hiring a bunch of community college kids to come by. We had hired a, a bunch of kids. <laughs> These kids, they, they, I got to say, during the interview process, they kind of scared me. And they weren't even in costume. But they kind of kind of crazy kids. And anyway, they were dressed up as ghouls and goblins and zombies and all your typical stuff. And Well, you know how a Haunted Hayride works. You, you hook up, you hook up a, a big tractor, you hook up a big tractor to a trailer, you fill a trailer with hay, all the people pile on the hay, the tractor drives through, you know, various setups and stops, and then all the zombies come out, and rawr, you know, and they kind of mess with you and attack you, or they, we have a staged hanging scene, you know, where someone gets hung, they fall off the scaffold and all that. And I guess some of these college kids, well, they, were, they, they looked pretty crazed, like I said, before they were even in costume, and I, I think maybe some of them had a personal problems or something maybe they're hard up for money for for various reasons and i i think maybe some of them got a little too physical with the attendees and maybe during their kind of physical interactions you know they come up and, and they try to grab your girlfriend you put your arm around her and it's romantic and scary all at the same time and i think maybe some of them kind of got carried away and Maybe reached in and grabbed some things that weren't theirs, and I don't know what they did with this stuff. I'm not sure about this church event volunteer thing. Now, we they were told right from the get-go that this was going to be a volunteer thing. No one's going to get paid any money. This was just a fun way to spend an evening. No one was tricked into working this event. It's going to be a good time. This is about economies of scale. We took their money in good faith, and we promised to give them a harvest festival that they could be proud of. And we did set up a harvest festival right next right next to the dance stage, right next to the DJs, separated by a black wall, so they wouldn't have to say, now of course you're gonna hear it, obviously. But we, they didn't give us very much money at all, and we had to fight, we had to fight them for the little meager amount that they gave us. They said they'd collected it over four or five Sundays. I guess there's not there's not a lot of money out there, but uh, we didn't get hardly anything from them. And we said that to them. We're going to need at least, I don't want to say what the dollar amount was, because I don't think... Uh, I'm, the I'm amount really, reported uh, was $12,500. Okay, well, $12,500. Let's see, what, what does that buy? Maybe that buys two permits? That buys a county permit? That buys a, 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 that buys a, a septic permit? That buys a permit... A permit for a portable, that buys you what? Three portable toilets? I mean, what did they expect to get? They were going to get, unfortunately, with the economy the way it is, the economic reality is $12,000 is not enough 
to put on a harvest festival worthy of such a fantastic and wonderful place as Joshua Tree is. And we just couldn't do it for $12,000. And we told them that. They knew that. He said, hey, look, we're also throwing Mojave Madness. Would it be all right if we were to use some of the resources from Mojave Madness and share them with the Holy Harvest Festival? And we could maybe make both festivals work together. Not on, you know, no one's intermingling necessarily. Everything's separated. But we can get double use out of the toilet facilities, double use out of the concession stands, double use out of the permits for the grounds. We're going to be separated by a wall. You're not going to see them. They're not going to see you. You'll have your Harvest Festival on one side, and we'll have Mojave Madness on the other side. Now, I can't help it that their kids or whomever, their congregation, wanted to sneak through the line and come over to Mojave Madness and have a good time. I can't help it. They didn't seem to be offended to me. I saw all those young Christians rocking it out to Marshmallow and Don Diablo, our DJs. They seemed to love them a lot. You know, they're dancing with everybody else. Seemed like they were having a good time. So their complaints that some sort of uh, satanic things happened or we were corrupting their youth or we were trying to inject the occult into their lives is not true. If anything, if anything, Ken, we were exposing them in a safe environment, secure environment, to an alternative viewpoint that they could Hey, they could just sit there and judge it. Say, hey, kids, look at this. You don't want to be like these freaks, you know? Or how about people on our side? They look over there and say, hey, those people are having a nice wholesome festival. Maybe I'll go over there and get some pumpkin spice latte or whatever the heck they're serving over there. Maybe I'll have some nice squash pie. Maybe I'll go into the gourd juggling competition and try my hand at gourd juggling. Five drug arrests is not a lot of drug arrests. I'm sorry. And yes, they were hard drugs. And yes, there were a couple of weapons found, but that's the standard for any of these large events. You know that, Ken. All these big EDM festivals in Las Vegas, these kids are dying. Nobody died at our event, and I consider that a success. Around the Mojave, across the Mojave, from Amboy to Zizek's Pioneer Town to Pipes Canyon, 29 Palms to Wonder Valley. Many of those places are actually very close to each other. This has been Desert Oracle Radio, KCDZ 107.7 FM in the high desert. Come watch it happen live November 16 at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs, Desert Oracle Radio live and recorded for broadcast free reserved seating few seats left at eventbrite find the link at desertoracle.com send us mail if you'd like to receive desert oracle magazine send us money $25 for four issues desert oracle P.O. box 1735 Joshua Tree California we are here Friday nights at 10 p.m. And you can get the podcast of the broadcast on the internet, iTunes, Stitcher, and the rest. Please drive safely out there. Halloween's over, but the monsters are still out there. 
still waiting for you. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>